Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also want to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor, and we'd love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoyed the sermon today. God bless. Thanks. Thanks for taking time to do that with us, to break off with people you don't know and share a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm Kristen, for those of you I have not met, and um, Azu did great. Elijah did great last week. We have um, a couple more weeks of hearing from our interns, so that's really fun for me um, to share that. And um, and now I get the opportunity to, to do our sermon this morning. So up here feels familiar. And then, you know, the rest, we'll just, we'll see how it goes. But I figured it's only fair for me to share with you a time when I felt not enough. And um, the day started great uh, at a bagel shop. I was with my friend Deanna meeting her for breakfast and I was eating a chocolate chip bagel, as one does. And I got up to use the restroom and I peed my pants. And I was like looking at Deanna. I said, that's so weird. That's the second time this morning I peed my pants. And she looked at me and said, you're nine months pregnant. That's not weird. I think your water broke. And so uh, about an hour later, I am checking into the hospital. My contractions have begun, and they've started to get a little stronger, and I don't care for them very much. And uh, my doctor comes in and says, you are having a baby today. And so I was like, let's get the anesthesiologist over here because I'm not trying to win any awards. So uh, we get the anesthesiologist, I get my epidural. A few hours later, I get my second epidural because first one is not working and contractions are working. And so I have epidural number two. A couple hours later is actually the next day. So that whole, we're having a baby today, was a total lie. And I was tired. I felt spent. And, um, and I'm, I'm still going a few hours into the night. I'm tired and exhausted from a day of laboring and laboring overnight. But then they finally say, it's time to push. And I know pushing is a finish line. And so even though I feel like I have nothing to give, I rally. And I'm like, let's do this. So I start pushing with everything I've got. Three hours later, I'm still pushing. And I'm throwing up because I'm exhausted and I'm tired and uh, I am in a lot of pain. Um, Not where you like think I'd be in pain, but I had what's called back labor. So I was feeling it all in my back. And and I was done. And if I had the option to quit, I would have. So my version of quitting was I turned to my nurse and I said, I want a C-section. 
And she said, oh, honey, you don't know what you're asking for. And I was like, yeah, I can't do this. So somebody else has to do this. Um, and are you tired right now? Are you like feeling pain? It's actually where I want you. Uh, because uh, we all have those moments when we really feel like, oh my gosh, I'm done. I, I quit. I do, I do actually not have what it takes to keep going. And I share that story specifically because I think sometimes weakness, sometimes when we feel like we are at the very end of ourselves, something beautiful is right around the corner. And so then I got this, this picture. This is Lucy Joy. Uh, so just, just a few, you know, few minutes after the I quit, um, I got the miracle. And so I don't know what you were sharing, how fresh your story might feel, or maybe it wasn't a labor story, but you know, Wilson encourages me to share stories that only I can share that like he can't share. He can't share that one. So, uh, so maybe you're feeling tired, maybe you were late, maybe now you're scared. Um, but we've all had that feeling that I'm at the end of myself. And I think that the passage that we're studying today really is that picture that sometimes when we are at the very end of ourselves, when we say, I have nothing left to give, that's when something glorious and good is right around the corner. We've been going through Luke for a while, and we are in Luke 9 right now, uh, and we're going to start reading in verse 10. And I'm going to read the passage a little bit and story tell a little bit. Um, and just share with you some of what God's been teaching me even this week. Might be a little bit of a familiar one to you. You can follow follow along on the screen. So we start in verse 10. It says, When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowds away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. Okay, so the passage starts saying when the apostles return, the context is just what Wilson shared about last week. They're returning from being sent out by Jesus um, to preach, to share the good news to the villages surrounding them. And you know, he taught them to rely on nothing but the power of the message that they had and um, the power of the one who sent them, Jesus. They're not to take anything with them. So they're returning to share with Jesus and each other everything that they had experienced. And I imagine that they're ready to be together and like ready to chill. I imagine that they're probably pretty fatigued from this journey. So if you wanna take a look at this map on the next slide, it says that Jesus is gonna take them away. So it's like, you've worked hard, time for a retreat. Okay, so you see at the very top of the Sea of Galilee is Capernaum, little black dot right there. That's where they were. Capernaum is a populous city. And he gets in the boat and he said, let's go to Bethsaida. They go from the northwest to the northeast there where the pin drop is. From a populous city and they're headed toward an open, desolate place. So they get in the boat and it's probably like to take the time to get there. It's about six miles between Capernaum and Bethsaida. But it says the crowds follow. And we don't get a lot in Luke's account, but if you read this story in the book of Mark, 
It says, but many who saw them leaving ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So it's time for a retreat for the disciples. They're exhausted probably, right? They're going to retreat and people are running six miles to meet them on the shore in this desolate place. It says that Jesus welcomes them with compassion. So these people must have been so eager, so curious to run to follow this Jesus that they've been hearing about. And we know that they were ailing because it says Jesus met them and he taught them and he healed them. And so the story continues and the conflict builds. And I relate to this part so much. I relate to this part so much. The disciples are running up against their limits. It's late in the afternoon. People are hungry, tired, and they are in a remote, desolate place. I just, I relate to this because I can just picture being with the disciples and being like, Jesus, this is great. This is so great. The teaching is great. Loving the healing, it's great. It's all awesome. You're doing great. It is getting a little late, and there's nothing here. So I say we send these good people home so that they can, you know, go to sleep and get something to eat, and so that we can go to sleep and get something to eat. That's what I'm thinking they're saying. And I relate to this because I come from a long line of party killers. Uh, my mom goes to bed at 7 a.m., 7, 7 p.m., happily. Uh, her mom, my Grammy, was known for uh, having guests over for dinner and then closing out the evening by saying, okay, dear, let's go to bed so these good people can go home. And that is now a family quotable. And I have inherited that lovely trait. I am a party killer. So it's like, hey, it's getting late. Let's wrap this thing up. I think we're good to go. And here's Jesus' reply in verse 13. You can put up it on the screen. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for the crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So Jesus said, you give them something to eat. But doesn't say that they say but, but can't you just kind of feel it? Like, but we don't have enough and there's nothing here. You have taken us to this place filled with not enough. And we're tired and we're hungry and they're tired and we're hungry. It's late. But they don't say any of that out loud, or maybe they do, and it's just not recorded for us. What they do say is they say, this is all we have. We have five loaves and we have two fish, but it's not enough. It's not enough food, nor do we have enough money to go and buy food for these people, nor are there enough places to actually buy the food because you led us to this desolate place. But then it's like Jesus says, start here. He says, put them in groups. In this place, with this food, have them sit down. And then we see the miracle that we, some of us might know pretty well and the method. The miracle is he takes these five loaves and two fish and he multiplies it somehow. And then the method 
of feeding the people is he gives it to the disciples, and the disciples feed the masses, and there's leftovers. So that's the story. It's a really fun passage, right? Super popular, too. It's the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels besides the resurrection is the, is the other one. I love what this passage says about God's abundant provision. He provides to satisfy, and there is no lack. There's actually leftovers. I love what it says about the crowds, that there are masses of people that are eager to hear Jesus teach, to be healed, to be fed. Maybe not all of them were running to seek out who they thought was the Son of God, but they were seeking They were seeking, period. And Jesus is the one they found that could satisfy and could heal. I love what it says about Jesus. I love that this, I love his compassion for the masses. And I love that this is further proof that Jesus indeed is the son of God and the bread of life. But in all those things that I loved and I thought that I would be ultimately drawn to, my eyes were drawn to the disciples and that phrase, you give them something to eat. I kept thinking about it all week, about that phrase and how the disciples must have felt hearing it. I thought about it and what it says about Jesus that he said it. So here we go. We'll spend a little bit of time talking about three things that I feel like we can learn about God and about ourselves by this phrase, you give them something to eat. When I hear that, I see that God uses the weak and that God uses the not enough. You know, two ways that the disciples could have responded in that moment was to say, I don't have enough, I'm out. Getting back in the boat, going back to Capernaum, like I don't have enough. Or they could have said, all right, let's go. Let's do this. Everybody gets a crumb, like we're going for it. And that, those two, I believe, are our temptations, too. So if you go to the next slide, we have two types of people, person on the left, person on the right, if you will, the I'm not enough, I quit, and the sure, I'm enough, let's do this. And each of these are actually a pitfall that lead away from experiencing Jesus, the miracle, and seeing what he can do through us. And the reason why both of these people miss the miracle is they're both self-focused. Person on the left, I quit, is self-focused only looking at their own lack, what they don't have. The person that says I'm I'm enough is self-focused, they're only looking at their own resources. Both Both people miss what God's resources and capacity is. Both struggle with unbelief. Person on the left says God can't use me, And the person that says, I'm enough, says, I don't need God. And unbelief or lack of faith is really just belief in a lie. And so these are the lies that the two people believe. God can't use me, or I actually don't need God. And finally, they both miss the miracle. If you're feeling like, I'm not enough, I quit, you miss the miracle because you didn't stick around. You're on the boat, and you're leaving. If you say, I'm enough, you miss the miracle because... You're actually not enough. What you have in your hands, what you have to give is actually not enough to satisfy and to feed. And you're not a miracle worker. 
So which one are you? Which one do you feel like you relate to? It's the person on the right for me, actually. Um, I've always thought that I was a pretty emotionally strong person. I don't cry very easily. I don't get my feelings hurt very easily, although I have cried in front of all of you before <laughs> up here. I don't get my feelings hurt very easily, and I really just try to avoid like all the emotions on the like negative side of the spectrum. And if you're a therapist in the room, which I know there's a lot of you, you're like, that doesn't sound like emotional strength. That sounds like emotional suppression. <laughs> and uh, they would be right. And um, yeah, I think about a time and a season that I was going to therapy for this very reason, realizing I, I don't know how to wrestle well with negative emotions. And I was sharing a time with my therapist, um, a season where I felt sad, I felt stuck, I felt not enough. And she asked me, when else in your life have you felt that way? And I said to her, I don't like that question. And I don't want to answer it. And like any good therapist, she said, why? Tell me more. And I told her, I feel like you're asking me to like go through the filing cabinet of my life and flip through the files and find the sad ones and to take them out and just sit there. And I said, and like life up here has been fine for me. And I feel like everything around me is trying to pull me down here. And the problem with that for me is that I do feel weak and I do feel not enough. But my go-to strategy when I feel those things is not I quit, it's I compensate. I inflate in other areas. I lean on emotional strength, on intellect, on logic, on connections, on um, positivity, on my speed of getting things done. But here's the deal. At the end of the day, I've only seen what I'm capable of. And uh, I haven't been honest. I haven't been honest with me. I haven't been honest with God. I haven't been honest with the people around me. And something that I have learned when I've learned this about myself and learned more about the gospel is if I'm the hero of my own story, I don't get Jesus. Heroes don't need saving, and so heroes don't get a savior. And so the person on the right is stuck in secular self-improvement or man-made religion and it's a barrier to seeing Jesus. And there's a lot of ways that our barrier to seeing Jesus is true when we say I quit also. So when I say are you the person on the left or the person on the right, right now you're saying show me there's another way, right? There is another way. The disciples show us another way. They say, well, this is what I have. I have five loaves and two fish, and it's yours to do with it what you will. Sometimes our not enough is just right when we give it into the hands of Jesus. Sometimes when we're at the end of ourselves and we're feeling our weakest, we're at the doorway to glory. So doing it the disciples' way means that we're looking for Jesus. He is near. And there's a lot of promises in Scripture that remind us of this, that God is near to the brokenhearted, that he gives strength to the weary, and he says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. I would love it if he said, my power is made perfect in your ability to get things done quickly. My power is made perfect in your positivity spinning tricks. 
No, but he says his power is made perfect in our weakness. So we need to look for Jesus because he promises that he's near in those times that we are weak and that we are at the end of ourselves. And we need to look for people. This story is a communal experience. I don't think it would have made sense if Jesus went up to one disciple with crowds around and says, you give them something to eat. No, it was the disciples together and he had them working together and putting them in groups of 50 and he had them give them their resources and distribute it together. So I'm wondering, when we're feeling burnt out or if we're struggling with boundaries which are real and we need to honor in our life, I wonder if maybe in those times we are trying to give more than we actually have in our possession. Or maybe we're trying to do it alone. And those are not the invitations that God has for us here. I don't think that Jesus would call us to serve ourselves toward burnout or to give ourselves into debt. He's not asking the disciples here to give beyond their resources. He doesn't leave them to figure it out on their own. He's asking them to trust him with what they've got. And I really do believe God uses the weak so we know who really has the power for the miracle. So we know where the glory really comes from and goes to. Because miracles aren't entertainment. In the Gospel of John, he refers to miracles as signs all the time, that miracles are really meant to be a sign that he is the son of God. Okay, so God uses the weak. Also, when I hear you give them something to eat, I see that God uses the ordinary. It's like this next slide, like just start here. This desolate place. He's like, yeah, this place I brought you to that has nothing, perfect for a picnic. Let's do it. This food, fish and bread is so ordinary, so familiar, so real. So what is your ordinary? What is your ordinary life, work, family, capacity. I think I have my ordinary and then I have my like imaginary, what could be. The person I'm trying to become or the kind of person that I think is ready to serve God. I think when we lean into this imaginary person of who we think God can use, you know, the one that has the degree or the one that's married already, or the one that, that's old enough, or the one that already has the promotion, or the one that has the bigger house, or the one whose kids are already out of the house. I think the more we lean away, we lean into the imaginary is we're actually leaning away from the ordinary and the reality of what actually is. Ephesians 2.10 says that there are good works for us to do that God has prepared in advance for us. And I just don't think that there would be good works that God would call us to do that he dangles like right out here, like just beyond where we actually are, what we actually have, and what our actual capacity is. And so if it's not out of reach, where is it? Well, I think about the story of Moses and this is something that I heard from Wilson and from Pastor Dave, you might remember when he taught on this, but Moses was called by God to be a leader to help free the Israelite people from slavery in Egypt. And Moses is like, I am not enough. You have got the wrong guy. 
Like, I'm not a leader. Like, it's just not me. I am not a good public speaker. Like, I'm not enough. Like, you've got the wrong guy. And on the next slide, you can see, in Exodus 4, 2, the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? And then Moses lays down his staff, and the Lord turns it into a serpent. And this is just the first demonstration of this miracle that he was going to do through Moses. And Moses uses his staff for all the following plagues. If you read down just a little bit further in verse 20, it says, now this is the staff of God. So a very ordinary, this is what I have in my hand, becomes an instrument of God when Moses decides to give it to him. And I think that that's just true. Our staff is our ordinary work. It's the home we live in right now. It's the space we take up right here. That, that, all of that ordinary, when entrusted to God, can become an instrument of the Lord. You may have heard it said that uh, if you don't share your instant ramen, you're probably not going to share your sashimi. You heard that? Probably goes a little different. But, uh, but I believe what that means, in other words, if you don't feel like you have something to give with what you have right now, something familiar, something that's little, something that's cheap, you don't feel like you have enough to give right now, having more is actually not going to change your heart. Because the ability to use what you have for God's glory is actually not a quantity thing, it's not a material thing, it's a heart thing. We just finished studying 2 Corinthians in our Bible plan. We wrapped it up yesterday, and as as you mentioned, we'll start Esther tomorrow. Uh, But in there, Paul talks uh, a lot about financial giving in the church. And he's talking to the church in Corinth about giving generously for the work of planting other churches. And he says this, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So I just think this imaginary, what I don't actually have yet, that's not the gift that's acceptable to God. It's the what is, it's the reality, it's the ordinary what I have right now. Finally, and we'll start wrapping up with this one. When I hear you give them something to eat, I see that followers, disciples, followers are called to be feeders. And I really like this because Jesus could have done anything to feed the masses. He could have just said a word and little, you know, bento boxes or happy meals just appear at everybody's feet. He could have had food rain down from heaven. He's done that one before. But his preferred method of feeding the masses was to take from the disciples what they had, somehow multiply it, and to give it back to them and to have them distribute it to the masses. He says, you give them something to eat. And so I just think about how we feed others what we have first received. So if you don't have a seminary degree, I don't, God's not calling you to serve and feed people with a seminary degree. And I think the more out of reach 
we make it for ourselves to communicate what Jesus has given us to other people, the more it seems like, oh, I just, I need to have like an apologetics course first. I need to know the whole gospel. I need to practice. I, know, I need to know how to articulate it. And all of those things are really helpful and beneficial. But the more out of reach we make it, the less we're actually going to ever do it. And so we were talking about this actually with the interns a few weeks ago of what it might look like when we think about sharing our faith with people or feeding the masses that are hungry. What would it be like instead of thinking about getting, giving them the whole feast of the gospel, what would it be like to give little like Costco samples? What would it look like to just give a gospel sample? You know, because we all have what God's given us. We might have a few minutes. We might have an opportunity to ask someone, oh, like, tell me how you celebrated your holidays. How'd you grow up? Uh, Wilson brought up a couple questions last week. What's your spiritual background? I'd love to hear more about that. Do you belong to a church? That's something that I love spending my weekends doing. We might have the ability to pray for someone, to connect with someone around us, just really the ordinary people in our ordinary lives. Because I really do believe that just like the crowds that were running six miles to meet Jesus at the shore, I really do believe that the people around us, the crowds, are really hungry. And they're really ailing. And they're really seeking to be fed and to be satisfied and to be healed. And a lot of them are actually not looking for the Son of God, but we know that that is the place that they can be fed, that they can be healed, and that they can be satisfied, and that there's plenty. It's so easy for me to believe sometimes more in my lack and what I don't have than what I do. And I just imagine what the community around us would look like, what the community of Brea, what the community of Orange County, what the community of the office where you work, the coffee shop where you go, the market where you, where you visit, the neighborhood you live in. Uh, if we all learn to steward what was actually like in our hands, given to a really miraculous and generous and compassionate God, and then responded with what we have in front of us. And so Wilson's gonna come up in a minute, uh, you can kinda come on up to, to lead us through communion. And I want to think about our ordinary and his extraordinary and the reality that he chose the least of these uh, to be a beautiful, healing, satisfying word to those around us. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection helping kids bridge their faith with God's calling in their life as a businessman, as a doctor or nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. 
And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-host together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church, and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us, on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through, um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, hope to hear, hope to uh, have you join us again.